Hey Toppers, I just wanted to give you a quick breakdown of the fine folks helping me bring this show to you. First of all, there's Audible, who offers over 180,000 audiobook titles that you can download to any MP3 compatible phone or device. Using my code, Turn of Phrases, gets you a free book and a 30-day long free trial. Amazon itself also sponsors me, and you can buy things through my link or get sweet offers for free stuff. Both options help me out. You can also buy my novel and children's book while you're over on Amazon. I'm just saying. Last but certainly not least is Boss Boxes. You can get awesome gaming stuff sent to you monthly, and my code, Turn of Phrases, saves you 10% at checkout. All of this, including more detailed information, can be found on my website, turnofphrases.com, on the Support the Podcast page. Please check it out to see what cool stuff you can get and help out the podcast at the same time. There's also a link to my swag and gear store on the site. Just click on the store tab and it'll take you right to it. Okay, that's enough of that for one day. Thanks again for listening, toppers. Please listen carefully. Hello, Toppers, and welcome to episode 15 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. I'm grateful to you for choosing to give me some of your valuable time today. The theme for this episode is kitchens, cooks, and utensils. We'll start with everything but the kitchen sink, then explore a baker's dozen. After that, we'll look at what happens when too many cooks get in the kitchen, then we'll try to watch a pot boil. We'll wrap up with the metaphorical moment for today, which is a fork in the road. So let's get cooking to discover these phrases, origins, history, and more. When it comes to everything but the kitchen sink, the meaning is fairly straightforward. It simply means that almost everything available has been included in a certain scenario. Many people think it came from World War II, when many metal objects had to be donated to the war efforts, except for the kitchen sink, which was usually porcelain. But this idiom shows up in print earlier than the Second World War, so this can't be the origin, though it is likely what made the saying more popular. Some early versions of the phrase used stove instead of sink, but the idea behind it is the same. The stove version can be found back in 1894 in a paper called the Jeffersonville National Democrat from Jeffersonville, Indiana. It said, quote, I sold the chicken and got a dollar for them. John got everything but the kitchen stove, end quote. This version was still being used until at least 1914, as shown in the June 19, 1914 edition of the Washington, D.C. paper, The Washington Times. Quote, he completely lost his head in the 16th century and wore everything but the kitchen stove, end quote. However, the kitchen sink version was also being used by then, because the February 20th, 1914 edition of the same paper had this quote, he had on everything but the kitchen sink and the doormat, end quote. So whether you want to have everything but the kitchen stove or the kitchen sink, it'll mean the same thing and you'll get your point across. Now, let's see how a baker counts out a dozen. So, a baker's dozen means 13. But why do bakers count to a dozen a different way? It goes back to medieval times, when there were laws specifying the required size, weight, and price of loaves of bread. 
The main law was called the Assize of Bread and Ale, and overall, bakers were regulated by a trade guild called the Worshipful Company of Bakers. If a baker sold a loaf that didn't meet the requirements, they could be punished. In good harvest years, when bakers were able to bake more than they could sell, they'd sell the extra loaves to someone to then resell them. Since the reseller was still regulated by the law to sell their loaves at the same price, the baker would throw in a thirteenth loaf so they could still make a profit. While this practice goes back to at least the early 13th century, the phrase didn't come into use until the end of the 16th century. In 1599, John Cook wrote Greens to Cococke. It had the following quote, Mine's a baker's dozen. Master Bubble, tell your money. End quote. And with that odd saying, let's move on. Too many cooks in the kitchen is used when too many people are trying to be in charge, thereby putting the task at hand at risk of being unsuccessful. This idiom is an old one and has many variations. The full saying is too many cooks in the kitchen spoil the broth, but some variations label the ruined object as stew or soup. No matter exactly how you say it, it came about from the idea that if you have a bunch of cooks in the kitchen, they might all add things to the broth or soup or whatever, and with each of them having different taste preferences, all the random additions will ruin the overall flavor of the dish. As for when it first came about, no one knows, but it was already considered common by the 16th century. In 1575, English historian and writer John Hooker published The Life and Times of Sir Peter Carew. In that work, he wrote, quote, It chanced unto this gentleman, as the common proverb is, the more cooks, the worse pottage. He had in his ship a hundred marines, the worst of them being able to be a master in the best ship within the realm. And so these maligned and disdained one the other, that refusing to do that which they should do, were careless to do that which was most needful and necessary. And so contending in envy, perished in forwardness. End quote. So again, no matter the exact version you want to use, this idiom has a long, strong foundation in history. Now let's look at why a watched pot never boils. The meaning behind this idiom is pretty straightforward. If you're actively waiting for something to happen, it seems to take longer than normal for that thing to happen. This idiom is often attributed to Benjamin Franklin. Unfortunately, while he did make it popular, he didn't invent it, as many people think. The idea behind the saying goes back to much older old-timey times. Back when pretty much the only way to cook things was over an open fire, cooks would give their apprentices the job of watching a pot of broth, soup, or similar dish as it hung over the fire via rope. If the liquid inside began to get too hot, the apprentice would raise the pot with the rope, and so the watched pot literally wouldn't boil. Now, I mentioned Benjamin Franklin. His usage is the first time it's thought to appear in print. During the years of 1732 to 1758, Franklin wrote a vastly popular almanac under the name Poor Richard. Most of the proverbs he'd include in these almanacs had to do with industry and not being lazy. A watched pot never boils was not actually included in his almanacs. However, Franklin was also a diplomat and often wrote reports. In one such writing from 1785, about the subject of animal magnetism, Franklin wrote the following, quote, Finally, another breakfast is ordered. One servant runs for fresh water, another for coals. The bellows are plied with a will. I was very hungry. It was so late. 
a watched pot is slow to boil, as poor Richard says, end quote. This is a direct reference to his almanacs and the character of poor Richard he'd invented for them. Due to Franklin's popularity and the well-known almanacs, he definitely helped propel this idiom into the often-used category. And with that, it's now time for today's metaphorical moment. It's just a metaphor, dude. It's a metaphor. Curious metaphor. A metaphor. The metaphor, a fork in the road, means that you've come to a point in life where you must make a decision, usually a hard or important one. But what does cutlery have to do with making up your mind? Well, it actually has to do with the main design of early forks. It's believed by many that this utensil began to appear in the 4th century, and while most forks these days have three or four tines, when folks first started branching out from just a knife and spoon, forks generally had only two tines. For a mental picture, they looked much like a modern-day carving fork. That still doesn't get us from a utensil to a metaphor, so let's get to that now. In Russian folk tales, there is a popular theme of Russian knights coming to a split in the road and seeing a sign that basically tells him going one way will cause him to lose his horse, but going the other way means he'll lose his head. That's definitely a big decision to have to face. It's hard to confirm exactly when this metaphor first appears in writing, but it was in the Bible, so it's been a while. In Ezekiel chapter 21 verses 19 through 23, we find the following. Mortal, mark out two roads for the sword of the king of Babylon to come. Both of them shall issue from the same land, and make a signpost. Make it for a fort in the road leading to a city. Mark out the road for the sword to come to Rabbah of the Ammonites, or to Judah and to Jerusalem, the fortified. One of the most popular uses of this metaphor comes from Robert Frost's poem, The Road Not Taken, which was published in 1916. The poem isn't too long, so I'll read you the whole thing. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could, to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, in leaves no step had trod in black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Okay, that's about all I got for today's metaphor, so let's move on to today's familiar quotations. Okay, I've got the book here, and I've opened it to a quote from Joseph Chamberlain, from his work Speech on Tariff Reform in Scotland on October 7th, 1903. That's got a very detailed description. Okay, the quote is, I never like being hit without striking back. Okay then, Joseph. I guess you're not one for turning the other cheek. And that's going to do it for today's Familiar Quotation. Alright then, toppers, that's going to wrap up episode 15. Thank you again for joining me once more to turn some phrases. I hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something along the way. Check out my show notes for all my social media, contact information, and sponsor information. 
Don't forget that you can send me topic suggestions. Just let me know if you want a shout out or if you want to remain anonymous. If you had a good time listening, please consider subscribing or leaving a review. A five-star rating and a quick review are really the best way you can help me and the podcast out. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thank you again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast, researched, written, produced, and hosted by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers, don't fork around.